I just want to say good morning to everybody. I'm so happy to have members of my family who don't often get to come with us this morning. We had a great time of family get-together yesterday and reminiscing and laughing hysterically and eating well, and we just had a wonderful time. So I'm really thankful for that. I read about two weeks ago that successful pastors never read or quote more than three scriptures per sermon. I don't agree with that. And as you know, I haven't followed that admonition. And the reason is because my words are not life, but his words are life. So let's hear his words this morning, even if they aren't easy words. And today they're not easy words. But I believe this is what the Lord would have us to present this morning. Jesus gave us two very stern warnings in two different places that I want to look at. And if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look there first. Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to read verses 13 and 14. He's talking about the way to heaven. And he says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Here Jesus gave the description of two different paths and their relative destinations. One path, he said, is narrow, and it leads to a straight gate, and it ensures that the traveler on that path enters into eternal life with Christ. But sadly, few stay on this path. And even more sadly, the much more commonly chosen path is broad, and it leads to a wide gate, easy to maneuver and get through. But this gate leads the traveler to destruction. And this is the gate we want to avoid at all costs. And now if you would turn to Luke chapter 13, very similar passage of scripture. This time, Jesus gave this this admonition to his own disciples. In the first uh, passage in Matthew, he was talking on the Sermon on the the Mount to the uh, multitude that was gathered there. But in Luke 13, verse 22, we're going to start there. And I'm reading out of the New American Standard. And Jesus was passing through from one city and village to another teaching And proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. And King James says the straight gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up, and shuts the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Open to us. 
And then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from, or in the King James, um, I don't depart from me, I don't know you. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And in that place, verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, so he's drawing a picture here, those who are without the door, that didn't get into the door in time, are the ones that are seeing the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, and they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be thrown out of heaven. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. I want to look at this a little bit deeper. What a stern and somber conversation. You notice that Jesus did not directly answer their question. The question was, are there just a few being saved? And what did Jesus do instead? He turned their focus away from what other people's salvation status was to look internally and look at your own status, your own level of uh, commitment and dedication to the Lord and the path that you personally are on. Or they, the disciples, were personally on. There might be several reasons why this apparent evasion of the question occurred. Perhaps the question was another trap. We read about that a week or so ago. In order to harm Jesus' reputation, they were trying to trap him because, after all, he'd said, anyone can come. And yet now he's saying only a few are going to get in. Perhaps the question was just out of curiosity. Maybe the disciples had discussed this among themselves already and said, well, let's table this and ask the Lord himself about it. Or maybe it was just a rhetorical question, almost admiring the fact that, wow, this is such a special path that only few are going to be on it. But either way of what the motivation of the question was, Jesus put it in a way that the very next question that should have been asked was, if so few are going in and going to be saved, what about me? Where does that leave me, Lord? And that's exactly what Jesus' intent was. As I said, he focused them to look internally, inwardly at their own dedication it's never been the Lord's goal to satisfy our curiosity. That's not his purpose. But to guide our realization to the need of a Savior. And that's what he expects us to do. To strive to enter, he said, with this singular purpose in mind. It says briefly, temporarily, 
it seems, I'm sorry, briefly, temporarily, that striving against the power of sin, we give up. We might let go of the singular purpose in mind. We might even show resistance to the devil at times. The Bible says resist him and he will flee. It's not meant to be an easy path. Jesus didn't say it would be fun and easy. For some will only seek half-heartedly, but they won't strive. Some may show signs of a little bit of success in striving, but they don't make the cut. Matthew Henry says, the grace and the glory cannot be achieved by lazy seekers. Jacob physically wrestled the whole night with God in prayer, and he would not let go until God blessed him. And Paul said, I strive for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, and he attained his prize. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus brought this point again. And here he defined the winning way. All hope is not lost, believe me. He gave hope to those who were in the battle, who were on the narrow road, who were striving to enter through that straight gate. In verse 21, he said, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So there is a key. There is a hope. There is an answer. It is those who do the will of the Father. In verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in, in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And yet again, he says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. What a contrast he's drawing. Many will put forth a half-hearted effort to seek but they may be lost because their focus was inappropriately on themselves, not the cleansing, saving power of the blood of Jesus. I'm going to come back to that thought in a minute. Continuing with what Matthew Henry said, there's no proof, we have no uh, recorded proof that those who claimed to have done these things in Jesus' name actually did them. He said perhaps they were focused on the wrong thing, like their own happiness, their own fame and fortune, being in the limelight, and even thriving on the prestige of association with important people in religious circles. But in their heart, they're nothing but a fake. Tough message, isn't it? It behooves us to examine every one of the very stones of our foundation. What are we built on? Why do we believe what we say we believe? Is there any selfish reason behind it? 
Is it good for our reputation to say we're a Christian, but we really don't strive? For Jesus said that the foolish man builds his house on the sand, and it cannot withstand the rains and the winds that will come, but that it will have a great fall. But the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wanted to know what that meant. And I found basically a cutesy, flimsy facade was what the sweetest frame referred to, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ, the solid rock, we must stand, for all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus said the day is coming when the master is going to, the master of the house is going to rise up and shut the door. And the door separates the holy from the unholy. Some worshipers worship only from the outer courts, but the ones that are inside, closest to the veil that's been rent, gets the access to God. The door has been open a very long time, hasn't it? Some of us even say now we see iniquity all around and we say, Lord, shut the door, get it over with, do away with the iniquity. But there are those who are still struggling on the path that haven't made it in. And we want them to come in. We want them. We don't want the master of the household to shut the door in their face, regardless of the iniquity going on around us. You know, some may have the idea that they deserve to go in. The disciples or, or whoever the others were that said, you preached in our streets. We heard you. We were right there. And we took your name and used it. So therefore, we have the right to be included. But God said, you're worker to, workers of iniquity. They said, we shared a meal with you. We took communion. And Jesus said, I don't know you because you work iniquity. You don't do the will of my Father. And that's what he told us to do. He said, I know my sheep, and they know my voice. And they are of my household, and I call them friends. In John 15, I'm closing. How do we know for sure? How do we know we're striving how do we know we're on the right path? And it will stay on the path no matter what comes. John 15, verse 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends for all the things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, 
he may give it to you. And this I command you, that you love one another. There are some things he expects us to do on the road while we're striving. I really want us to examine our own foundational stones this this morning to check our motives. Are they selfward or are they Godward? Is our strive meter up to par? Is it up where it should be? Are we doing what it takes to please him and do the will of the Father? Is our GPS intact? Thank God for GPS. I was lost half my life before I got GPS. Not spiritually, but physically. (laughs) The reward speaks for itself, doesn't it? Eternal life with Christ or separation from God for eternity. None of us wants that. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. Look inward at your meter and see where you stand. Are you on the path striving? Or are you on a sloppy, wide, wide-gated path? That pretty much anything goes. If you are, this is the time to cry out to the Lord and ask him to get you back on the right path through the saving power of his blood. Father in heaven, we know that you expect us to turn our internal searchlight on. And we do that now, Lord. Oh God, let us look into every corner, every dark and dusty, ugly, cluttered corner, oh God, of our heart. And if there's something there that doesn't belong, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and wash it out. Wash all the cobwebs out, O oh God. Clear the space and let the Holy Spirit flood that part of our heart. Fill it up, O oh God, that we may know what the will of the Father is and do it. That we may be called your friends, O God, because you share with us what you hear from the Father. And that our fruit, O God, our fruit is strong and healthy fruit, Lord, and that it remains. O Jesus, we have so much work to do in our own heart and lives. We cannot be concerned about somebody else. We have to know that we individually, Lord, are striving on the right path. But we do now pray, God, that the door remains open until our loved ones come through. Oh, we want to see it, Lord, with our whole hearts. We, We care about their soul as you do too, Lord. Call them to the path. Call them to the narrow path, Lord, that we may see them enter in that straight gate. Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you care about us. When we reach out to you, you reach down and you touch us. Oh, we're such privileged, privileged children this morning of the Father, the master of the house, Lord. Oh, God, I ask today that if there is one listening, Lord, and they say, I don't know if I'm on the path, Lord, speak to their heart. Bring them the realization, Lord, that they need to strive 
as you said, to enter, for it is the most important thing. And Lord, I ask today that your precious spirit go with us, each one. Guide us, Lord, lead us, and protect us, O oh God. Under your wing, Lord, under your arm, we gather close to your heart, and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Anyone have anything to share or say before we go? Then you may be dismissed in the care and the love of the Lord. Amen.